This is Free Talk Live, the live Sunday edition, coming to you from Keene, New Hampshire, in the LRN studios. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. Uh-oh. I've uh, got you. Maybe you're not punched through here. Can you hear? I, there I am. Uh, I was on the wrong channel. So, sorry for Ian, the... filling in for Wayne. And Wayne will be here shortly. He uh, spaced out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our space case. Anyway, man. Uh, this is the Sunday edition. It is the show about your calls, and we're going to jump right into that. We've got... Uh, What's the number? Oh, the number is 603-435-1105. Call in, bring up anything, as Adam from Canada has done. Adam, you're on Free Talk Live. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, I love the Sunday show. It's great. Excellent. Uh, I, I, was thinking, I was hearing something Alex Jones talked about gold. He really made me think. Okay, what's that? Hello? Yep. Yeah, on. he was saying that uh, when the dollar's devalued, gold goes up, and gold is being paid for in dollars. How stupid are you people? End quote. Uh, you know, he really made me think a little bit more about it, and I have to realize something I'd just like to briefly extol. It's the first law of sustainable economics. It goes trade or trade not. There is no buy. Trade or trade not, there is no buy. What? Uh, give me, tell me your sort of philosophy behind that. I'm not sure I'm following. Well, look at how Iran wants to change from the dollar to the euro, and now to the Jordanian currency or United Arab Emirates currency. They're always changing how much, how whether they pay for the oil. And uh, once you start to think about the differences between the currencies, how they're traded, how they're valued, what they're worth for one another, and then you go into gold. Yeah, now with, uh, with Iran, and they're not the first to do it, Iraq was probably the first to try and move out. What, what has <laughs> happened is the U.S. has solidified its position as the sort of the big kids on the block to uh, oh, yeah. say that if anybody wants to buy oil, then they, the, the, the exchanges have well, to yeah, happen in dollars. Yeah, that was back with dollars. John D. Rockefeller and Standard Oil. That was a long time ago. Exactly. But what that does is it means that anybody who wants to buy oil has to buy dollars first and then make the exchange and then convert it back into their currency. So that gives massive, uh-huh. massive strength to the dollar and uh, allows them to continue printing, continue inflating the uh, the money supply, but yet not really see the consequences directly of that action because, you know, there are so many, uh, many people that have to or are forced into buying the dollar because they use oil. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. I never knew about that whole buying the dollars first thing. That, that's an example, again, of how they're, they're not really buying oil. They're just trading it for some paper that's been traded for something else. So, you know, there's a reason to own it. Yeah. So, the, But, again, nobody's really buying anything. It's just trading going on around us. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Okay, have sure. Have your Sunday show. Thank Bye. you. So I think... Uh, there's. I want to talk about this a little more because it seems it, like semantics to me. But I mean, there's no buying going on; it's just trading. Okay, you're trading pieces of paper for uh, the products, but you could call that a purchase. I mean, it seems kind of silly. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think there's a there's a lot of sort of uh, trouble on the horizon with the dollar with the gold. Uh, this is something that Wayne and I like to focus on a lot when we do the Sunday show is try and get into some of the economics and some of the things that have, go- have gone on. And gold, uh, again, this week hit another record, record high. high. So did silver. Silver's up over $22 an ounce mm. now. Um, and, you know, it's blowing away the uh, analysts' expectations. And at the same time, really what that's a reflection of is the dollar's sort of declining and losing value. And he talked about there's an inverse relationship between 
uh, the dollar and gold, and that's pretty mm-hmm. much yeah, pretty true. If you watch over time, that's been true. What's happened to this last week is the dollar index, which is uh, basically a basket of currencies where they take the yen, um, I think the euros in there, as well mm-hmm. as the uh, a few others, and they do sort of a, a ranking, a number on it, and that number has been, I believe, over eighty for a while, and it's just been dropping. And what's alarming people is the pace at which it's dropping. I think now it's down around 77, which it, it normally doesn't move more than a point in a, mm-hmm. you know, a given trading day. So this is uh, not – it's something that's alarming a lot of the uh, financial experts that are out there. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, uh, d- dramatic sort of shifts in the prices of gold. I, I think uh, a lot of the market manipulation is starting to come undone and come unglued. Yeah, I wonder what the lowest price you're going to see gold at again in the next decade or two is going to be. I who Where knows? will it bottom out? Who knows? I think it's... Uh, how much can they push it? How much can they artificially push it back down? Because that t- tends to be how they do it, right? I mean, Wayne, who's not here right now, has talked about the Plunge Protection Team, mm-hmm. this group of uh, buyers in the in Wall Street that essentially acts to uh, prevent the you know the, the the cost of gold and other precious metals from rising too much. Yeah, and well, I don't they also, remember how they do that, but the, like some sort when, of manipulation. Well, when China was going in and threatening to dump a lot of its uh, bond debt or, or a lot of its U.S. denominated a debt, then uh, they would go out there and help them sort of do it in a not-so-alarming fashion to where it sort of slips under the radar. Mm. Uh, and also, China has come out, and because the rating system is so biased, and they've they've sort of woken up to this fact that, hey, the, the U.S. dollar is nowhere near as strong as all the rating, rating agencies are claiming that it is, uh, they've started their own, I, I believe, or they've switched to another one, and they've just downgraded the U.S. dollar again. Mm. And so over the past decade, as as the interest rates have just gone down and down and down, all of this debt that they've been buying, the the, the, the relationship is inverse. As they lower interest rates, they the, the bonds become more valuable up to a point. You know, at some point, there may be a, a, a bubble here or a collapse in the bond market if the U.S., in fact, can't pay back the $14 trillion that it's borrowed on uh, $2 trillion of income. It's a mess. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I, if only we could get to an alternative currency sooner rather than later. It just there's no real viable option out there. I mean, there are a couple of startups up here in New Hampshire, but that's nothing. they're nothing more than startups. Well, I saw something interesting about that, and I've got a, an idea in the works. But in uh, Dubai, as well as Las Vegas, there is a vendor now who, is, uh, who, who has created gold vending machines. No kidding. Yeah, where you can go in. Put and cash in, you get gold out, that kind of thing. Anywhere from a gram all the way up Man, to Man, those things uh, must be armored like a, like a tank. <laughs> they're, they're custom built. And, of course, they're in a casino. So, yeah. you know, so the security around the vending machine then. Is, is very high as right. well. But who's to say you couldn't do something like that with uh, silver and maybe just a standard uh, vending machine, put junk silver in the, uh, in the vending machine. That's 90%? 90% right? silver. So And they're like nickels and dimes and quarters, I believe. So... Mm-hmm. You know, not not a huge investment. You're talking a few dollars here and there to buy some of these coins. But that's a way of sort of getting people aware of what's going on. You mentioned the two currencies uh, up here in New Hampshire that have formed and started. Shire Silver is one of them. The other one is Tozcash. Shire Silver is actually a card that it's like a plastic card that actually has a piece of silver in it. Tozcash is a paper uh, note that is evidence that silver exists 
somewhere in a warehouse, which the warehouses, as I understand them, are distributed. So unlike the Liberty Dollar, where all of the silver for the certificates was being held in the same location, which was publicly now, uh, you know, people knew where it was. Right. Uh, the Fed swooped in. They went to that uh, that vault and they took it all. So hopefully that distributed system will help avoid such uh, raids. I don't know, though. How comfortable would you be knowing that your money is supposedly out there, but how? Do but you, where is it? Where is it? How do you audit it? How do I get it? I mean, am I just yeah? Being that's given a good a piece question. Paper here. Those are questions they're going to have to answer, right? I mean, the uh, the folks behind Toscash, and they're good folks. I mean, oh, yeah, I, I yeah. know them. Uh, they're they're going to have to answer them, and they're going to have to answer them satisfactorily to uh, the people that that might be interested in buying because it's a cool idea. It is, yeah, it is. I know the uh, the Shire Silver folks are talking about putting little holes in the uh, in the plastic. Where you could put a testing meter, you, they have conductivity meters that will verify. Yeah, that was my my issue with the Shire Silver was like, well, how do I know that's a piece of silver in there? I mean, it just looks like a piece of metal. It could be anything. How do you know? And I think that's going to be something that's going to be an issue as silver becomes, you know, presumably as it becomes more used uh, between people. Is is this the real deal? And and how is one going to find that out on a relatively simple basis? I mean, is everybody going to have to carry a tester around with them? I would think, uh, you know, the merchants could do it in the same way that you would yeah. scan a, a credit card. You could just, if it's all standardized to where you have, you know, the two prongs are supposed to be in the same place and that's where the holes are and mm-hmm. the metal's always right there. Now, how you do this with gold, because those are just thin strands, it seems like they would break and fall out. You may have some technical issues to overcome or practical issues, but uh, I, I think it opens some possibilities and the testers shouldn't be that expensive. We shall see. The market will decide. We'll talk about that and uh, crack down on free speech when we come back. This is Free Talk Live. You can call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. You can call in, bring up anything to 603-435-1105. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And it's Ian. And Ian, thank you again for filling in here. So I'm not doing a monologue show. Those aren't much fun. No, I, you know, I've never had to do it for more than a segment in the whole time that I've done Free Talk Live. And, you know, it could be done. It's, it's not the greatest just, radio, though. No, dude. I would just, you know, I, I want to do the show that I want to listen to. And I just don't, as much as I've heard the monologue shows on talk radio and I'm familiar with them, I just, that's not what I want to hear. There's you know? some people do it well. I mean, back in, in Limbaugh, they run pretty yeah. entertaining shows. It's, Nick's done it over at uh, Free Minds Radio a few I've times. I've heard his, yeah. yeah. They're, they're pretty decent. I yeah. don't know that I could do that, though. I think I would run out of things to say. Or That would be my, you know, that was always my concern initially. And if, you, if you've if you got enough prep, you can, you know, you can handle it. 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 And you, you have to kind of be able to... Uh, you know, when you're going through show prep, if you've got a, a partner, you still it's always good to just stop down and discuss things as you're going right. through the the piece. And you just kind of have to play that role all by yourself. It's just stopping down and, and opinionizing, if you will, uh, on expounding on whatever it is you're talking about, maybe coming in with the alternative viewpoint, uh, playing a dual role yep. on your own just to, to kind of have a one sided, two sided conversation, if you will. Could lead to schizophrenia if you're trying to do it that could. by yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, there is a, uh, a story here I think is pretty interesting from uh, the Associated Press titled Free Speech Group Fights Lawsuit Versus News Shares. And uh, 
You know, the, I, I was listening to Ernie Hancock's show, which is... He's Declare one Your of Independence. The, Declare Your Independence on uh, LRN.FM. Every and, afternoon from 5 to 7. And I really enjoy it. One, one of the, one of the articles... He is crazy, isn't he? And one in a wonderful way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, he just presents this great uh, sort of pure anarchist view. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, his guests will come on and they'll try and, oh, well, we're, we're not going to talk about the legitimacy of government. And I've heard him just say, wait, no, this is my show. I ask the questions, you answer them. And he does it just in a really sort of non-threatening way, though, that's very entertaining. He and nobody's really takes as psyched up. Nobody is as no. psyched up about liberty as Ernie Hancock. I mean, the guy is incredibly uh, energetic and... It's just so fun listening to him. Just even come back from break. There's there's one uh, one of his breaks he brings back with Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, as one of his music beds. Yep. And it just always just pumps him up so much. He starts <laughs> yelling, and he's like, ah, declare independence he's at the top of his lungs. And it's incredible. The guy is, uh, you know, he's just, you can't push him down. He's a very entertaining radio personality. Yeah. But he was covering the sort of the mainstream media and how the the independent media is now bigger than the so-called mainstream media and uh, collectively, of course, because there are just thousands sure. of all these bloggers out there and people doing uh, podcasts and various and different things. The mainstream is losing audience, too. That's the other part of it. That, that was the really interesting thing that he talked about in his story is the newspapers, their their average uh, listener or average reader is, is over 55. They're not, not just them, even... but television as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Ernie that's the one that's been reporting on this is the, the mainstream media like CNN, Fox shows – you know, they really don't have much more than a few hundred thousand viewers for their shows, and it's been going down. A lot of them are top out at a hundred thousand, and then Is they, that right? yeah, for some sometimes they'll they'll break that out if they have a good guest or something like that on. But yeah, I mean, the, the but mainstream they're great at making media themselves seem important, right? Oh, they're, yeah. they're still they've still got the production values, they've exactly. got the money behind them, but their audience isn't really that significant. So they're dying, and in a lot of cases, they're getting their sources now from some of the blog sites because you can't beat having all of these eyes and and feet on the Mm -hmm. ground in the different areas where things are happening. Uh, And so this looks like a case where sort of uh, the mainstream is coming down and trying to put a stop to this, trying to save their empire in the same way that the RIAA Mm -hmm. has done to sort of (laughs) preserve this dead, you know, nonsense CD format that they still force on consumers to, here, buy this little piece of plastic that'll get all scratched up rather than giving you a little thumb drive or something where you could put it right on your MP3 player, as most people want to do with their their music and, and media these days. So what's going on? So uh, Las Vegas, a San Francisco group that defends online free speech, is taking on a Las Vegas company it says is shaking down news Internet users through more than 140 copyright infringements lawsuits filed this year. The electronic fear, um, the electronic, <laughs> <laughs> the electronic frontier foundation uh, counterclaim represents the first significant challenge to Right Haven LLC's unprecedented campaign to police the sharing of news content on blogs, political sites, and personal web pages. And the EFF is a really great organization. Yep. The The guy who founded it is one of the first to fly without IDs who That's right. gave me the story uh, or the idea and, and got me flying. Who was that guy? I forget his name. John Gilmore, there you I believe. Go. Um, yeah. So they do a lot when it comes to taking on these uh, cyber issues and related to the internet and media and so forth. Uh, a at stake is what constitutes fair use. 
When and how is it appropriate to share content in an age where newsmakers increasingly encourage readers to share stories on Facebook, Twitter, Dig, and other social networking sites? The, uh, the EFF argues that the lawsuits limit free speech and bully defendants into costly settlements by threatening $150,000 in damages and the transfer of domain names. The foundation represents Democratic Underground LLC, which uh, Wright Haven sued in August for posting parts of a Las Vegas Review Journal article on a message board. So ludicrous. There's a radio uh, industry forum that I kind of frequent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Radio Info, and they are the most just oppressive group of moderators. You can't post more than like a sentence out of an article, and if you post more than a sentence out of an article, they will edit your post they will redact uh whatever it is that you put in there and they'll send you a warning and they'll threaten you with your loss of you know possibly losing your posting privileges they're just so they're so afraid of some sort of a lawsuit like this that they they rule their forums with this iron fist and it's just it's sad it's crazy um yeah well and i mean think about the threats too that's the other thing that I, is so frustrating is 100 imagine if free talk live i mean all we do is report different mainstream media sources and, and yeah. what if they came after you and threatened to take away the domain name free talk live it's crazy what if they i don't know i mean i would probably just keep doing what i was doing because <laughs> i don't really care but there, there uh, may be some sense into having sort of a backup domain once you start to get large enough that uh, you can switch over to. Or maybe- yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really, and I don't generally concern myself with worrying about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always cite our sources, right? So I, I feel like that's kind of a safe thing. I mean, I guess there's a. It seems like there's a difference when you're just ripping and uh, pasting something versus saying this came from here and and giving uh, the link to it. Yeah, I and I, I, I mean, don't know if, if it'll save you in court. But. Well, but if you're commenting on it, it's supposed to be under fair use. But mm-hmm. you know, who can decipher the, the government's copyright uh, code these yeah, days? I've never bothered to try. Uh, uh, all right, many of the uh, cases involve stories originally pub- published by Review Journal, Nevada's largest paper, and the flagship of Stevens Media LLC. Uh, this case is particularly abusive. Uh, is a, is a particularly abusive incident of a broad and aggressive strategy by Stevens Media, working in conjunction with its little friend Wright Haven, as its front man, as its front and sham for repre- for <laughs> front and sham representative to seek windfall recoveries and statutory damages and to extract nuisance settlements. We'll uh, get back into the rest of this and hear yeah, what the... Yeah, because that's uh, going to keep them alive, right? Just extracting money from the people that use their articles? <laughs> exactly. We'll uh, finish this article up in the next segment. Uh, you can call in, bring up your thoughts, 603-435. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. You can call in, bring up anything... It is the show about your calls, if you make them, to 603-435-1105. And if you like the show and you want to find out more or find out ways you can promote the show, you can go to promote.freetalklive.com. I believe they have flyers and handouts and various things there, uh, ways for you to get them, get this idea into the ears of more people. Uh, great for going to concerts or things like that and handing them out and sort of uh, bringing new people to these ideas. So uh, joining us tonight, it's Sam. 
Oh, wait. <laughs> I got his microphone off. Try that yeah. again. And Wayne, they and shut Wayne. my mic off on yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you're late, mister. Ian is still here as well for the time and being. Thank Hi, you, Ian. Ian. Hey, Wayne. All right. So we are going through a uh, story here. Wayne, you'll have to just sort of jump in on this. Uh, we're talking about a free speech group that's uh, fighting a lawsuit. The EFF is coming in to the defense of some of the blogs here because there's a apparently a paper here in Las Vegas that is suing mm-hmm. uh, some of the blogs who are reprinting part of their stories and doing commentary on it and so forth, threatening them with $150,000 in uh, damages. I, that's probably per instance. Yeah, it sounds like political harassment to me. That's, it's just That's the first thing I thought. Yes, it is. And they're also threatening to take away their domain name, which means, you know, to someone like me or Ian, that that would be pretty devastating. That would be sort of the real threat. Um, well, I don't know about you, uh, but uh, blogs don't, my blog doesn't make me any money. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's there's true. A, there's a little bit of money that comes into it, but it gets spent. So the idea that any blog is going to be able, the average blog is not going to be able to afford, even if they uh, the court rules against them, to pay $150,000. So how are they going to even what s- succeed? They- if they succeed you give the court issues an order to seize your assets how many bloggers have assets so you can seize yeah, that's true that's true and most of the time you can't see someone's house over stuff like that can you uh i i don't know yeah I, i'm I not know. sure the extent of asset seizures and how far they can go with that but uh it seems pretty unlikely that this newspaper is going to be granted ownership of the blogger's home or something like that but maybe i'm wrong who knows Okay, so let's get back to the uh, quote. I'll just start over since I butchered it so bad. It, it was awful. You should have heard it. Uh, this is uh, from the EFF spokesperson, spokesperson, I believe. Uh, the case is particularly abusive. Is is a particularly abusive instance of a broad and aggressive strategy by Stevens Media, working in conjunction with its little friend, Right Haven, as its front and sham representative to seek windfall recoveries of statutory damages and to extract nuisance settlements by challenging a fair use of an excerpt of an article that Stevens Media makes freely available on the Internet, says the uh, counterclaim filed filed in Las Vegas uh, Federal Court this week. Wright Haven's chief executive officer, Stephen Gibson, called EFF's claims inflammatory. (laughs) that's just ridiculous and the reason it's ridiculous is that i don't think there has been any defendant that we've called to shake down for a settlement he said so they're just threatening they're not actually going to try and recover the money because they know they're probably like ian you just said trying to squeeze blood from a turnip um it goes on here. Uh, dozens of lawsuits have been settled privately. Ah, now there's the strategy. That's this sounds exactly like what the record company does. I mean, this is this article could be retitled "How to Save Your Dying Business Model" or "How to Attempt to Save." These are the dinosaurs thrashing around in the tar pits, just like the RIAA does. They come in. Mm-hmm. They have their hundred and fifty thousand dollars per song that uh, you supposedly downloaded on your computer. And then they'll settle this multi-million dollar claim for three, four thousand dollars, whatever you can. Uh, they think they can get from. Yeah, that. and if you can't duck when the big dinosaur tail swings around, you're going to get hit with it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, how often does the EFF step forward to defend the people in the file sharing cases? Does that happen very much? Because you would think if that happened that they wouldn't take the deal, right? They wouldn't take the settlement because they'd have somebody on their side. Normally, if they're going after a grandmother whose uh, grandson downloaded something on her internet connection and her name is on the internet connection, so she's responsible apparently for whoever it is that uses it, uh, that normally when that happens, uh, if she's intimidated by that whole process, she's going to take the settlement all right fine you know if, if i can pay you three thousand dollars and make this go away then that's what i'll do because i can't afford to buy a lawyer i mean a lawyer is going to cost me five thousand way more yeah. so uh so i'll just pay this and make it go away whereas the eff if they come in there they're not going to charge that person right they're going to come in and they're just going to handle the case yeah that's my understanding but I, i've only heard of a handful of cases and they're typically the outrageous ones where where the people actually fight back and don't take the settlement and it's because, you know, like you said, it's the grandma where uh, they've never downloaded music. Maybe the kids came on mm-hmm. and did it or something. Or they're coming after a person who's dead and, and they're, uh, you know, they're supposedly, supposedly accused of uh, copyright infringement. And so those some of those have been dismissed. But I think for the most part, people just end up paying and, and set, taking the taking the deal because, you know, the system works so well. Like you said, a lawyer would cost you more than what they're asking for and they know what they're doing. It's just it's a big racket. Yeah. It's a big racket. Shakedown. Dozens of lawsuits have been settled privately and Wright Havens and Stevens Media declined to disclose the, the terms. The EFF says the settlements have averaged about five thousand dollars. Uh, more movie and music producers have previously targeted individuals who legally share or illegally share copyright content. Uh, what makes Wright Haven's business model unique is that it buys copyrights from news companies uh, like Stevens Media and then aggressively files lawsuits without first giving the defendants a chance to remove the content in person. So, so they don't send question. a C&D, a cease and desist. Right, apparently. And they're actually buying this. So they're out. I guess this company's out looking for people that post the articles. Then they go to the newspaper and say, hey, we'd like to buy that story from you. We'll oh. give you... We'll give you a grand for it. Wow. And then they take Figuring and they'll go make more on the file settlement. the lawsuit. Yeah. Wow. And it, what, oh, man, the, other, the other thing that they're doing here is because it's a separate company, it doesn't look like it's the paper who's the one suing them. There's sort of that degrees of separation mm-hmm. in there. Boy, this is really. Very interesting. Wow. Um, Desperation. It is. I mean, does it really pay for the lawyers that they have to hire? I mean, how much can they really be making on these? Well, they're trying to do it in volume. Yeah, but there have only been yeah. dozens of suits, dozens of suits, the average settlement of $5,000. I mean, that's barely paying your attorneys, isn't it? Maybe they can get a law clerk to do it. I suppose you're right. Yeah, just just, just draft up a, the same threat letter and send it out there. Sure. And, yeah, you're probably right. Pretty They're easy. Money but, I mean, what's the what's the real business model here? Because we've we've read the story on the air uh, several months ago about the company that invested like a million dollars plus in their newspaper site, and at the end of it, they had something like thirteen subscribers mm. paying five dollars yeah. a year or whatever it was. That was a long one of the Long Island papers, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no money in this. This is the fundamental change that's coming across is information is free nowadays the internet is is enabling that in ways that these guys aren't ready for sometimes too you know there can be a wealthy uh, politically motivated benefactor in the background funding these operations and later on you find out about it that happens sometimes too that could be very true yeah it could be uh, somebody related to the to the owners of the paper who started the the company to begin with 
Alan uh, Liechtenstein, a lawyer from Nevada American Civil Liberties Union, said the lawsuits unnecessarily pursue the full force of copyright law. He is representing Lisa Leonez, a New Hampshire blogger who was sued after posting a story about wind energy from Stevens Media Eli Times. Uh, Liechtenstein said Leones would have immediately removed the post if Wright Haven had sent a cease and desist order. That's, that's interesting. It's happening right here in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. We might want to reach out to this person. Uh, other defendants include Nevada Democratic Party, uh, the Progressive Leadership Alliance of Nevada, and the Republican U.S. Senate, Senate candidate Sharon Engel. Now there, you've probably... You're you're talking more money. So the average may be five thousand for the little bloggers, but mm. when you go after some of these Candidate. bigger yeah. interests or candidates, you're probably getting more like ten, twenty, fifty thousand. So there might be some money in this. Uh, we'll uh, finish up this article here after the uh, break. You can call in, share anything, change the topic on us. It's six zero three four three five eleven zero five. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. Good evening, it's Wayne. <laughs> and this is the show where you can call in and bring up anything to 603-435-1105. And if you like the show, you want to find out uh, the latest information, you can go to news.freetalklive.com. They're on Twitter. Uh, I think there's a Facebook page. Uh, there's email alerts that you can get to uh, find out the latest and greatest of what's going on at Free Talk Live. So, Wayne, we're uh, finishing up here this story about the uh, sort of crackdown that's going on with uh, the some of the independent media, and it's really sort of out of desperation. I mean, we've talked about how the newspapers are losing subscribers, and the average subscriber age is, is over 55 now, according to a story that Ernest Hancock covered, which, you know, the, their key demographic is always that 18 to 45, where people are in their earning years and they have disposable income to spend Mm-hmm. And now it's just getting to that older crowd that doesn't know, that's really blissfully unaware of, of just how bad the media, the mainstream mm-hmm. media coverage is these Because they've days. had it their whole life, and it's, it's been getting slowly worse, but they don't notice because yeah. they're part of that big demographic group that's the pig going through the snake that swallowed it. And, of course, the pig is getting towards the end of the snake now, mm-hmm. and the young people, <laughs> the young people don't really... Uh, partake in watching the, or reading the mainstream, lamestream media, and they're using the internet more, and they're in trouble. The mainstream media is in big trouble. And, and, you know, they wouldn't be in nearly as much trouble if they actually printed the truth and they were the watchdogs right. of the government. Then people would flock to them. That's the problem, is they're not hiring reporters anymore and encouraging them to think. They hire stenographers who go and t- take down the government press releases and mm-hmm. turn them into so-called news. I mean, it's, it's such a joke. They're, they're not critical. They don't ask any of the tough questions anymore. And if they do, it's, 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 it's contrived. It's staged, yeah. yeah it's staged. It's so, it's so fixed, and it's just becoming so blatantly obvious to the younger viewers out there who can sit there and watch the compilation videos of the politicians lying again and again and again, and the mainstream media is, like, completely silent. They're not calling these people out on any of this. They're just sort of 
well, he's saying this today, so I believe him. What are they thinking? What and the older thinking? generation is totally snowed because I, I know a lot of people who tell me about their parents, how they sit in front of the TV and they watch CNN or Fox or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and, they, and they're totally bra- – and all they do is regurgitate and parrot what they hear on the TV. The talking points. The talking and points. And you try and dig beneath the talking points and they don't – there's nothing backing it up. What? <laughs> what a cracker. What? Well, Limbaugh said it was this. Uh, all right. Fluoride is good for you. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the story here and uh, finish this thing up. So uh, we talked about some of the other defendants and so forth. They are actually going after some political organizations and even candidates and so forth. Uh, Mark Hindenburg, vice president of general counsel for Stevens Media, declined to comment on the EFF's counterclaim. He said the lawsuits help protect the company's content by discouraging would-be offenders. But uh, Kurt, a senior staff attorney for the EFF, said Wright Haven's goal is to drum up cash from people who can't afford to fight the lawsuits. Some of the cases involve people who cited and linked to the original source. This is a this is copyright. This is a copyright troll, uh, the lawyer said. And uh, there are they are trying to exploit a loophole in the copyright system for conduct that has not really caused any harm at all. The lawsuits themselves cause harm by stifling open communications, mm-hmm. linking to articles and accepting and exer- ex- exerting from them. Uh, what, what is that word? That excerpting. Excerpting. Thank excerpting, you. Yeah. <laughs> is uh, part of the likelihood or lifeblood of the online community. And they are not trying to hurt the review journal. In fact, many of them are excited about the coverage. Uh, Gibson said readers do not have the right to reprint content simply because a news site encourages them to post links on social networking sites. You can't say because I believe I am doing the party. I am uh, infringing on uh, a a benefit. I am entitled to do it. Gibson said Uh, the lawsuits are being closely watched by news companies that are struggling to protect their content as more and more people rely on the web for news and ad revenue in uh, printed newspapers dwindles. Well, you know, that's true, Sam. But what if somebody were to excerpt just a piece of an article from, say, the New York Times, who's, who's hurting, and they, they post a link to it also, and they, and they kind of promote what's in that article. Doesn't that, if somebody clicks on that link and goes to that article in the New York Times, doesn't that help uh, New York Times advertisers because they're getting more traffic to the article that ordinarily might not have even seen it? You would think, but, I mean, the... In the paper, I I know the like a full page ad on in the New York Times is is what like eighty thousand dollars or or something you know really high. Sure. What are they getting on a click through? Maybe a tenth of a penny or something. But they have the whole world as customers, so they do it in volume. They do, but are they making up that kind of volume? And I, that's where I don't I don't think they are, and that's mm-hmm. that's why they're in so much trouble. Well, their business model is outdated now. It obviously. is obviously. It is. And they don't want to change. And like you said earlier, they could be successful. They could have people going to their site. They could innovate and choose to sort of adapt to the changing marketplace to give people what they want. But they've got their journalistic standards and their integrity. And really, it's it's about protecting their position. Because- right. But they're as gatekeepers. You see, that's the problem is they're still in the gatekeeper mode when really what we need is a free flow of information that they're not willing to provide. They're willing to only provide propaganda and filtered news. Well, they're protecting their sources. I mean, they're in with the government. They're on the inside. They get invited Mm -hmm. to the press conferences. They get to ask the questions. They get access to the 
politi- politicians and some of the bureaucrats and so forth that the bloggers can't get to or, or won't be allowed to because they're they're basically the the bitch of the of the state. Well, some of the bigger uh, blogs probably I don't know about Matt. What about Matt Drudge? Is he can he get a press pass and get into a, a government news uh, conference? I don't know. I don't know, but he's got a, a pretty very very popular site that that draws a lot of attention to. Uh, so he should, things. and the fact they're not letting him in is also kind of a infringement of competition, if you think about it. It is. Well, I mean, it just shows the kind of favoritism and and how you know people don't trust the government anymore. And they're the but I actually saw a study on this. I'll see if I can pull it up here. They trust the mainstream media even less now, and they're they're <laughs> at all time lows. I saw so. that. That yeah, and, and that doesn't surprise me. And that's why the internet has become so popular. And you know if. The internet got shut off tomorrow. People would find another way to communicate the truth and and exchange real information. Right. The news media has uh, just not done this stuff before, says Eric Johnson, a University of North Dakota law professor who focuses on copyright infringement and intellectual property issues. The news media has a sense of public responsibility and a deep sense of ethics and public trust. (laughs) This seems like a straightforward effort to make money. It's mean. So there you go. That's what's uh, going on. It looks like the newspapers are going to go the same way as the record companies have and try and sue their customers to mm-hmm. uh, because they're not able to give them what they want in a in a method that they're they're happy with. Yeah, it's it's the shark flailing around on the beach, and if you're in the way, you're going to get hit. So stay out of the way. All right. So uh, let's move on to another story here. There is um, in Guatemala. These medical tests. Have you heard anything about this, Wayne? I did, yes. This is pretty shocking, but not uh, anything that's unusual. I think there are a number of these cases. Mm-hmm. Tuskegee experiment was another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been all sorts of experimentation on, on Native Americans over the years and minorities, and it's disgusting. And they've put, uh, I, I believe the government's put things in the town's water supply without telling people and various uh, drugs and things that to just, we just want to see what it'll do. Yeah. So their kids aren't their kids don't live there. They've been at it again. Uh, the uh, this is from Infowars.com. I, they actually gave a lot of the specifics in this uh, story, so I wanted to cover this. The United States government has apologized for infecting hundreds of people in Guatemala with gonorrhea and syphilis as part of medical tests more than sixty years ago. Uh, many of the infected patients were uh, of the infected. Many of the infected were mentally ill patients and prisoners who did not give their consent. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has condemned the research as unethical and reprehensible at a time when the U.S. wanted to test vaccines against venereal diseases. So, oh, man, they're just this is unbelievable. I mean, this is what this is the same kind of uh, experiments and things that the the Nazis were doing. You bet during World War II that they were condemned for and convicted of the war Soviets crimes. did them too, and so are we. Are we actually talking about the U.S. government in the same sentence as the Soviets and the Nazis now? Man, I guess uh, many of the infected patients were never given adequate treatment. Uh, syphilis can cause heart problems, blindness, mental I- illness, and even death. Evidence of the program was unearthed by Professor Susan Reverby at Waverly College. She says uh, the Guatemalan government gave permission for the test. So, see, Wayne, that makes it okay. If the government says that we can come in and do 
medical tests on its people, then you know that makes it all moral and ethical, and and we don't have to treat those people, and they may die, but hey, it's all right. The foreign aid, more foreign aid that year. <laughs> all right, we'll uh, come back with more after this. You can call in, bring up anything to six zero three four three five eleven zero five. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. We are jumping into hour number two. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And if you like the show, want to uh, learn more about it, you can go check out the wiki. There are all kinds of great quotes in there from uh, the the regular hosts, Ian and Mark, that run the show the other six nights of the week. Uh, Just different things that they've said that, taken out of context, are quite funny at uh, (laughs) wiki.com. FreeTalkLive.com. Sometimes when they're taken in context, they're funny. Uh, that's true, too. <laughs> Very true. Um, okay. So we have a story here that's a little um, disgusting, I guess, would be a, a way to uh, describe it. You mm-hmm. hear about the police shooting dogs all the time. I mean, this is something that seems to be sort of uh, like a, a pastime for them at this point. They go in on these drug raids and they shoot the dogs uh, because, well, they I felt threatened. The dog could have attacked me. And, of course, you know, we had a, a month ago they shot a little corgi and another dog that was actually in a, in a kennel, mm. in the kennel cage, and they still shot it. And, it's, and then they, you know, marched the kids out in front of their dog that's there bleeding on the floor. And uh, who knows what kind of trauma you know what a traumatic experience that is on these kids all in the name of you know finding a, a marijuana joint oh so dangerous so out of uh, oakland here from uh, ktvu.com oakland officer shoots family dog leaves note uh an oakland family was still waiting to get their dog's remains back from the police thursday night two days after the after an officer shot the animal in their own backyard and left behind only a note. When Mary-Kate Holuck arrived home on uh, Tuesday, she immediately sensed something was wrong. Her front gate was open, and this, at the side door, instead of the family dog, she found a note from an Oakland police officer. The officer wrote, OPD responded to your residence to investigate a burglary alarm, explained uh, Holuck. The Hollock's burglary alarm went off around 11.30 Tuesday morning. The officer said when he went to check the uh, backyard, he saw an open door and the dog, a yellow lab named Gloria, charged at him. Uh, While checking the rear perimeter, the lab advanced on an officer and in a threatening manner before uh, being shot and killed. Read Hancock's uh, Hollock from the note the officer left. So the dog, you know, this sounds pretty reasonable. You're you're going into somebody's backyard, and dogs are fairly territorial. Mm-hmm. And so here he is. He uh, he pulled out his gun because the dog was clearly going to tackle him and and just sort of tear into his flesh or something. And uh, he just he had to shoot him, Wayne. I mean, this is justified, right? Doesn't this sound pretty reasonable? No, well, at, at times you'd think so, but but you know, I think they're a little trigger happy because it's not a human being. They're not going to get in trouble. Too much trouble for a lot less paperwork when yeah, you kill a dog. Like, I mean, like a person, deer or something. Yeah. person. There's like investigations and all. It's, mm-hmm. You might get a paid vacation out of it as well. I mean, that's that's a lot of stuff to deal with. I've had this happen where I was bought something off Craigslist. I uh, the people said, "Hey, we're in the backyard," and they actually uh, 
wanted me to come through the house, but I didn't. That was strange when I knocked and nobody was there. And so I just sort of wandered around the side and their family dog saw me and thought intruder and starts running towards me and barking. And so all I did was just stop and I put my hand down uh, by his mouth. And as soon as he came up, he stopped barking and started smelling my hand. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's OK. See, I'm not here to not here to get you. And, and everything was fine. So, you know, really, in reality, there are a certain percentage of dogs that will just bite your hand or, or, or whatever. But it could have. Yeah. But I didn't feel mm-hmm. like the dog was threatening or mm-hmm. I, I didn't put out, I guess, the vibe that I'm a threat to the dog. So yeah. I didn't really feel like it was anything that uh, was very concerning for me. And the family just sort of watched in amazement. Yeah, it seems like, of course, you don't also hear the stories where the cops didn't shoot the dog, but it seems like there's more stories of, of the cops, sh- cops shooting people's dogs in the last few years. Absolutely. So Halleck said her family was stunned by the news. I'm just really upset, she said. Her daughter uh, said her daughter, uh, Isabel Halleck, And it really didn't need to happen, I think, but it did. Isabel and her brother Matthew Halleck said uh, Gloria had been part of the family since she was a puppy. Uh, They said that she was not an aggressive dog. I'm a preschool teacher. This dog goes to school with me. It's it's around kids all the time, said uh, Mary-Kate Halleck. It's just a gentle giant, and it's 11 and a half years old also. Mm. So wow. an old uh, Labrador retriever that goes into school and is around a bunch of school kids, not mm-hmm. sounding too uh, dangerous at this point. Not at all. The incident wasn't the first issue Oakland police have uh, had with animals this year. Back in May, there was widespread outcry after officers cornered a small deer in the backyard of a home in a quiet residential neighborhood and shot it to death before animal control personnel could arrive on the scene. An Oakland police spokesperson said that the officer followed proper protocol. Uh, the officer had thought that it might be a burglary in progress and said he feared for his safety when the dog ran towards him. Uh, the left, the, he left uh, the note to alert the owners before taking the dog's body to animal control. Uh, the response offered little solace to the Halleck family, who said the police protocol should be reconsidered. Uh, We just keep going back to why shoot the dog, said Mary-Kate Halleck. Shoot and kill the dog? We wouldn't, we would uh, just love for some other family not to go through what we went through. Because it's heartbreaking. The Hallecks hope police in the future will consider using pepper spray or taser on a dog instead of a gun. I I don't know. I I mean, I guess that's a little better. The dog's not going to, to die, most likely, but who knows? That would be better if you ha- if you really felt that you had to do it, then that would be a better solution. A, a taser would uh, disable them, but then they-, they might come back after you if you're still there, I suppose. But uh, sh- shooting somebody's dog when you're on their property to begin with and you might not even belong there and you might not even be justified in being there is a stretch. It is. And, they, you know, we've seen a lot of the, the police nowadays are coming out of Iraq where they've been over shooting at people. And everybody, I think a lot of folks have seen the the dog or the picture, the video where they took the little puppy, threw it off a cliff and laughed about it. I mean, it's, it's so sick what some of these people do and it's, it's becoming sort of part of the norm. This is sort of the advance of the police state is now we'll come in and we'll shoot your dog and there's nothing you can do about it because we've done it enough times and gotten away with it and nobody's stopping us. So 
it was very dehumanizing and very decanizing too, I guess, caninizing. Uh, but you know, this this is this is the line that keeps getting pushed. You know, the the line of of what is appropriate, what isn't, and if people don't speak out against it, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, but I don't know how to speaking out against it stop it. I mean, it's really, it's the feds who are behind the militarization of the police force. Mm-hmm, the local police force. I mean, they're, yeah. they're in Plano, where I used to live, they were giving them hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Uh, these guys had a tank, they had bomb robots, they had, uh, you know, full-on SWAT team get-ups. And, mm-hmm. and the SWAT team, once I left with my cameras, they came back and surrounded me and uh, started making sort of threatening comments and so forth. I wish I had an audio recording of it. And that's when I left them, I said, uh, you know, why don't you guys go shoot some dogs or something? And they... <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Didn't laugh at it, but... Uh, that was very inflammatory, Sam. It, it was. Well, they deserved it. <laughs> and also, you're hearing stories now about some police being on steroids. And, and there was, I think it was the Fort Worth, Texas uh, police chief, actually, wasn't it, who actually said that they need to bump up their hormones, that the police, the, the patrolman's hormones? Really? No, I haven't yeah. heard that. Now, yeah. I have heard some rumors about that right here in Keene, that one of the local uh, gem owners was giving all the cops steroids and we had a case where uh, one of the, the police here uh, was on his motorcycle, got cut off uh, by someone in a minivan or a, a station wagon, something mm-hmm. like that. He stops his car in the middle of the street, jumps off his bike, goes up to the guy who's in the car with his wife and, and two kids, breaks the window, starts punching him in the face, and then gets on his motorcycle and drives off. And the guy's still a cop today. Well, you know, when you see that kind of behavior, that is typical roid rage behavior. And and it's unbelievable. The first time I experienced it, I think I was about 25 years old at the gym, and I said something to a guy at the gym, and he came at me like like a tiger. I got out of the way. He went right through the sheetrock wall into the locker room. Wow. Right through two two uh, um, you know layers of sheetrock. Nice. All right. Uh, we will uh, come back with a message from Ron Paul about the co- economy and get into some financial news. You can call in, bring up anything to 603-435-1105. Sunday edition of the show. You can call in, bring up anything at 603-435-1105. Joining me tonight with Stan. And Wayne. And Wayne, we're going to get into uh, some political talk here, something that I don't do too often, but um, Ron Paul is one of the few politicians in Washington that really sort of stands out and uh, has sort of a a different message. I think that's why he gets so much uh, support. Well, he's consistent, and he's been proven over many years and decades, to be honest, and be principled. So people listen to him. They do, absolutely. So he has put out a message. Uh, the I'm looking at a, a YouTube video here of it, and it says, uh, martial law and anarchy when the economy collapses. And of course, what he means is chaos, because he knows the difference between uh, anarchy and chaos. Right. And, you know, it's if you look through history, this is... This happens pretty regularly when sort of the economic situation gets bad at the end of these fiat currencies that you they they can't despite whatever they want to promise and tell us and oh you know green shoots where the economy's recovering isn't it Wayne we're all back to 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 job growth and so forth well the news media tries to mold public opinion and put out all of these dominant social themes that 
will, to a point, affect people and manipulate people into maybe spending money they shouldn't if they think things are getting better. They'll do it for a while, to a point. Yeah. But then when the people don't have any more money left, they realize everyone around is getting laid off. They don't believe it anymore. Yeah, and I think that's uh, part of the thing that they're, you hear all the time that this is a consumer-driven economy. And that is such BS when I hear that. Well, they've been saying that for decades now, at it, least two decades. It's, it, this is, uh, Peter Schiff did a great job in one of, uh, one of the videos that I watched of him of a speech that he gave where he just sort of decimated this argument. He talked about, no, that is crazy. It is produ- it's capital mm-hmm. that is the source of a strong economy. People right. having capital and being able to invest in equipment and machines and uh, materials and things that they mix with their labor and turn into products, and in the process, they're they're buying things uh, for the for the production. They have to uh, hire employees to come in and and do the work for them. So they're actually creating jobs, creating wealth, and it's it's wealth creation that that makes right. an economy strong, not not what wealth people, transfer, yeah, or or paper pushing, whatever. So. Yeah, I think the whole idea of the consumer economy was a way to sort of uh, uh, obfuscate and, and uh, con people into thinking you didn't have to produce things here. You could make money just servicing people, and you know that was going to create wealth because people don't really know the difference between money and wealth. Um, now more people do. But it was also a way for the government to actually hide the debasement of the currency because when you start shipping all the industry over to a, a low-wage country mm-hmm. and, and then fixing the currency uh, exchange rates so they're really low in favor of the Chinese, what you do there is everyone thinks, oh, there's no inflation, there's no money printing going on because, uh, look, at TV sets are coming down in price. TV sets, uh, um, you know, cars that are produced there, whatever it might be. And, of course, now you've hollowed out the whole U.S. economy. You've burned the furniture to heat the house, so to speak, economically for about two decades now. And it's all coming home to roost. It is. And people think that, uh, you know, it's, it's the, these evil corporations, and they're the ones that are, that are they're just out to make money, Wayne, and they are responsible for shipping the jobs overseas, when that's complete nonsense, too. They're yeah. under all of the, the this complex tax code. They're under yeah. all of these regulations, and it's which, just which encourage companies to. Uh, and actually, in some cases, the federal government has been shown to facilitate companies moving out of the country and, and shipping their factories overseas. Yeah, and and there's you know they're just they're do they're operating as best they can in order to survive under this environment. But it's the federal government through. Everything from the minimum wage laws mm-hmm. to uh, all of their regulations and requirements and licensing uh, and, and, you know, just it's it's such a big quagmire. Yeah, I don't mean to cut on the Chinese. I love Chinese people, but there is a, a bigger game going on here with the the shipping off of the industries to China, because then, of course, people have to work at big box stores instead of producing real things and producing wealth in a factory. And we're at a critical mass point now where we're... You know, unless uh, if the price of oil spikes up to 150 to 200 dollars a barrel again, you'll see more things being made here again because the whole business model right now is based on on cheap energy mm-hmm. for transportation for, for uh, being able cargo, to ship yeah, all those goods back back and, and forth. forth. Right, but as soon as, as energy goes up beyond a certain point, it's no longer worth it. And I think we may see that in the future, but for now, we have to produce things, and, and that gets into what uh, Ron Paul was was saying regarding the economy that he, he's been watching this for a long time and he he basically is is issued a pretty terse warning today if you go to the dailypaul.com uh, it's the first video i believe and it's entitled 
We'll play it right here. Ron Paul has issued a sobering warning to us all. Your dose of pessimism porn for today. (laughs) It's impossible to predict the time when confidence will be lost, but it can come quickly. Resorting to buying other paper currencies will not be of much help. When the dollar crashes, most likely the purchasing power of all currencies, since all currencies hold dollars as a reserve, will go down as well. This means that dollars and other currencies will go into buying consumer items, precious metals, and other physical properties. Consumer prices will soar as well as interest rates. The central bank will lose control, and the more they inflate, the worse the confidence becomes. The more they inflate, the worse the uh, the confidence becomes. This is exactly what happened in the Weimar Republic mm-hmm. and in uh, what, Argenti- Zimbabwe, Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Jamaica or somebody else. Uh, there are several countries because the government just, you know, oh, well, we'll solve that by printing more. And they, they I, I was on the local radio show uh, this weekend and they were asking the candidates, well, what would you cut? You know, what's what's the answer to to stopping this big government? And they talk about, oh, well, we need to take 10%. The granite curbs, that, that would cut 10% out, and that would be the answer. But nobody's really the, asking the, the pertinent question, which is what is the proper role of government to begin with? You know, should they be handling all of these areas that they've expanded into? And, you know, it is all of the law. They, they come back and they say, well, if we don't do this, Wayne, it's illegal and I'll go to jail because I have to. The, law, the, law. the law says that I have to do this and I have to do this and, you know, on and on and on. Well, <laughs> that's the problem. It's all of your laws. It's all of your regulations. It's all of the growth of government. And when you when you try and roll that back, well, oh, oh, you want to fire bureaucrats? These are the only people that are still voting. Mm-hmm. So it's this is this is classical empire decline, classical monetary uh, fiat currency failure. And he's he's really given a, a pretty interesting warning here. The interest rates will respond to these efforts by rising sharply. If the Fed tries to reverse the run on the dollar, interest rates will also soar, and the pain on the American citizens will be of such proportion that political chaos will result. Either scenario leads to political and social chaos. Okay, he did use the word chaos then. Good. Yeah. Maybe somebody who was describing it used the word anarchy that was on the top of the video there, but yeah. And also, he he talked about... um Oh, just the, I don't know, we'll get back to the video. Third event, and the most dangerous. With no ability of the federal government to fund its commitments, international or domestic, major changes will occur in our system. All right, I remembered what I was going to say. He talks about the sort of the currency coming back in in the very beginning to buy up all the assets and so forth. I believe it's at least 60% of the dollars are sitting outside of the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see this flood of money coming back in because the people are going to sit there and look at it and see prices rising and know that, hey, if I don't spend this soon, like China, if I don't spend this, I'm going to be you know, sitting on just worthless paper. So all of this money is going to come flooding back in. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. Uh, You can call in, bring up anything by dialing the call-in number at 603-435-1105. And tonight, joining you, it's Sam. And Wayne. 
And we've been uh, going through this Ron Paul speech here, sort of giving a, a pretty stark warning. And, and Wayne, you've called it pessimism porn. Well, some people in the, in the <laughs> mainstream media call it that because uh, there's been a lot of bad news and they want to cover up the bad news. They want to keep people spending money and they want people feeling optimistic, even if they're out of work. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I know people that have been out of work over a year and haven't found a job yet. So they, they, they want to minimize that. So they, they attack people who uh, tell the truth. They do. And uh, I've seen an example of this. I, I think it was Gerald Salente who was on one of the mainstream media talk shows. And this was at the time when they were selling the green shoots, uh, mm-hmm. line, you know, uh, talking points, basically, because that's what they are. I mean, it, it, it's so blatantly obvious that the mainstream media is getting talking points of, OK, here's what here's how we're going to sell this. Mm-hmm. And they all use the same sort of catchphrases and. And they they just sat there and said, "Well, Gerald, aren't you just aren't you being a little pessimistic here? I mean, isn't isn't this the economy's getting better? Look, the job numbers are better, but they're they're they don't talk to their to their viewers about the fundamentals. They don't they don't believe that their audience has any sort of intelligence level at all that they can do any kind of research or critical thinking, and they just expect them to buy what they feed them hook line and sinker and that's why they're uh, they're losing viewers and 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 influence well they're really good at at uh, formulating smear words against people who uh, are opposed to what they're saying right to sort of attack the messenger rather than the message itself exactly to, to discount the the person given the views i've experienced quite a bit of that all right let's get back to ron paul and see what he's what else he's got to say here the social unrest will elicit cries for government to exert unusual force to head off a complete breakdown of law and order. The ultimate trap will be set for a system of government claiming to protect a free society. If more power and police authority are not given to the federal government, it will be argued that only anarchy will result. If more government policing power is given, it will mean a lethal threat to civil liberties. Already, we have permitted the notion that a single person, the attorney general or the president, can decide who is an enemy combatant, thus denying that individual the right of habeas corpus, permitting indefinite detentions without charges made. This attitude towards civil liberties has changed significantly since the fear built around 9-11. Boy, he makes some good points there. And I've actually read a story about uh, assassinations and where mm-hmm. the president and I believe the attorney general can assassinate somebody, an American citizen. We're on the list. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Ian's definitely on the list. I don't know about me, but maybe, maybe you, you are, too, Sam, you're, you in the, you're higher on the list than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you know, this is scary. I mean, this is, uh, people have been sold the idea that, well, Homeland Security is there to protect us from terrorists, right? And and secure our borders and keep infrastructure straight it's or, funny. Uh, safe. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I recall when Homeland Security was, was formed that I remember reading a story that they actually brought in consultants that were former KGB and, and East German Stasi. And then I remember hearing this snitch program that kind of flowed this, this trial balloon about the snitch program where they're asking people who go into people's homes like the cable guy and the milkman or whatever to volunteer mm-hmm. uh, to be a snitch. And it, there was a lot of public outcry against it, and they kind of shut up about it. But you bet it's it's in effect somehow, somewhere. Oh, yeah. Obama had the uh, the story out about the flag at WhiteHouse.gov email, where 
you see something unusual, you send us an email so that we can start monitoring these people. Yeah, I think it was about, um, it wasn't information if somebody said something about the health care plan that wasn't true. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. that's what it was. Crazy. And this is the health care plan that he was, was you know, promised to, uh, to uh, make sure that everybody uh, w- would would see the open debate. There wouldn't be any backroom deals. And, of course, none of that happened. That was all... That was all just for show. Right, the, that insur- was in the big insurance companies mode. wrote it, and uh, and then they gave it to their little pet lawmakers to uh, ram through. Yep. All right. Let's. Uh, well, let's put this on hold. We've got a call here, and see. Uh, we'll go unscreened to the. Whoops. I may have just done that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't get it off the air. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, all right. Let's go back to uh, Ron Paul here and let this play. Yes, I know, declaring one an enemy combatant is reserved only for the radical Muslims engaged in terrorism against the United States. To be reassured by this reasoning is quite dangerous and naive. Logic should not lead us to equate suspects with terrorists and include American citizens. And yet, this has already been set by precedent. Under difficult circumstances, our political leaders will not be hesitant to use these powers to maintain order. Tragically, the people may even demand it. Boy, that would be... Help uh, us! Exactly. Help us! They've been... The people have been so indoctrinated to call the government police. I mean, don't do anything for yourself. Wait for the government. They're the only ones that should have guns. They're the only ones that can keep law and order, which is just is crazy. I mean, when you think about it. It's totally insane, but that's what happens, is they condition you to beg for tyranny. In so many situations, you see this now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We are rapidly moving toward a dangerous time in our history. Society as we know it is vulnerable to political and social unrest. This impending crisis comes as a consequence of our flawed foreign and domestic economic policies, a silly notion about money, ignorance about central banking, and ignoring the onerous power and mischief of -of out-of-control intelligence agencies. Our unsustainable welfare state and a willingness to sacrifice privacy and civil liberties in an attempt to achieve safety and security from an inept government. Mm. Dangerous times indeed. What can be done about it? Must we wait for the inevitable and expect to restore our liberties in a street fight against the overwhelming power of the state? Not a good option. That's really not at all. I mean, when you look at uh, sort of the technology and so forth that the federal government's out there deploying and and putting in the hands of the police, I mean, they are military. They've been using the sound cannons and the, the pain rays where it makes you feel like your skin's on fire because they're hitting you with radiation and um, you know, I've seen uh, reports of the veterans that this is probably, I think, one of the biggest concerns. If you look at the, the MIAC report that was put out by Homeland Security uh, and was leaked to the uh, to the press, they talked about gun owners, returning veterans and so forth. And what they're doing with these veterans now is they're trying to get them classified with PTSD and then they're taking away their firearms. Yeah. Well, let's think let's think like a tyrant for a minute, Sam. OK, if you're a tyrant and you've got this military, and they come home, what would you want to do with them to make sure that they can't oppose you at some point? Well, I wouldn't want them sticking around, uh, because, you know, I've trained these guys to be efficient killers and and to be able to go out and and, uh, take out targets and so forth. And the other part of this equation is really the DU, the the depleted uranium that Mm -hmm. that 
they've been exposed to. The U.S. government dumped 420 tons, I believe, of depleted uranium on Iraq. And when you, they've been putting it in 50 caliber rounds. They've been putting it in uh, munitions. So mm-hmm. when all the people were at home drinking their six-pack of beer, watching the invasion of Iraq and all of the bombs going off in, uh, around Baghdad, those were depleted uranium shells. When those are fired out of the barrel of a gun or a, a muzzle or whatever, they catch fire and they create these nanoparticles that are too small to uh, be caught by even like gas mask filters. They'll go right through those. Uh, when they hit their target, the nanoparticles go everywhere. And uh, th- that gets into people's lungs. It, it causes uh, liver damage. It causes eye damage. It causes kidney failure. Slow death. It's a slow death. And then when people like that might figure out what happened to them and that they weren't told, that's going to make them angry. Yeah. So if I'm the uh, the tyrant of the military, when these guys are, when when they're no longer of use to me in some other country, and they're starting to feel the effects of what I've done to them, I'm uh, I'm not going to want them hanging around, and I'm certainly not going to want them having firearms. So we'll, uh, we'll finish this up, get back to uh, your calls here when we return from the break. This is Free Talk Live. You can call in, bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. It is the show about your calls, if you make them, to 603-435-1105. And if you like Free Talk Live and you want to support the show, you can shop at amazon.freetalklive.com. Lots of great products over there. Uh, Same prices. All you have to do is enter through amazon.freetalklive.com. I've used it quite a bit. Find some great deals. And you can get uh, super free, super saver shipping on uh, most orders. So, okay, we have been uh, going through this Ron Paul's sort of pretty stark warning about what's coming, what he sees happening based on history and his understanding of of uh, economics and so forth. And also some of the signs that are going on internationally right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of things, a lot of vital indicators. If you look around the world and you see what's happening with with uh, Greece's currency and, and, all the, and all these other countries and how they're all maneuvering to competitively, to competitively devalue their currency against the dollar, it's accelerating well, now. Well, why would they want it? Why would a country want to ever devalue its currency, Wayne? What, what's, what's the benefit of that? Because then they're more competitive. If their currency gets too strong against the dollar, then they can't export goods to the United States because it would cost too much. It would take okay. too many dollars. So what's happening is, is that all these currencies are, are basically, it's accelerating. It's like, it's like um, the drain, the water going down the drain. And, and Ron Paul sees the signs, like many of us do, that we could be coming to a time where a, criti- a, a point of critical mass in so the monetary system. It's kind of like the water is going down the drain, but there are people, the different countries are in their little canoes and they're racing sort of to stay in pace with everybody. But it's the U.S. that is sort of the, leading the pack. Because they're the world's reserve currency. And they can print trillions of dollars with a click of a mouse. And because everyone's required to uh, buy into the oil, buy the dollar first in order to buy oil, that's what's given it so much strength. All right. And oil is critical, by the way, to agriculture. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And that's uh, with the consolidation and the, the uh, corporate farming and stuff that goes on. That's what uh, it, That's the cost that it comes at is through higher energy costs. So 
It's a, it's a delicate balance that we're playing right now. All right, we're going to go to uh, your calls. We've got uh, David in Keene. David, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, can I, like, ask something else before? Um, I was just wondering, everybody says, like, we're, like, the richest, richest nation in the world. You guys sound like you know about the economy and stuff, right? A little bit. But, but we're supposedly the richest nation in the world. How can we be the richest if we owe so much money to, like, China, I don't see how we're rich. <laughs> Precisely. That, that's, that's a myth now. At one time, we, the United States was the richest nation in the world. But, of course, uh, in the last few decades, it's been, uh, we, we went from being a, a, debt or a, um, a creditor nation now to the greatest debtor nation in the known history of the world. So, no, I don't believe we're the, we're the richest nation in the world. But when you can print money, which is the reserve currency, you do have a lot of, of pull still until you totally ruin your fiduciary responsibility and, and people lose confidence in your currency. Then, of course, uh, the race to zero is going to be pretty fast. Yeah, and it was what people don't understand is it was the environment of liberty and freedom, the lack of all of these government agencies, all of the regulations and so forth that we've been covering here. Uh, that's what allows people to create prosperity. That's what made America the supposed greatest nation on earth and so forth. It's just it, it, it was an environment of freedom where people were free to live their life as the, the, in the manner that they pleased and, uh, you know, create value for their neighbors and so forth. The, the lawn on the White House used to be a, a flea market every uh, weekend. So, I mean, look at, look at what happens now. You, you, I couldn't even film in the park across the street that's supposedly public property, but no, it, it's, it's owned by the Park Service. Yeah, and you hear stories about little girls selling lemonade on the corner and they, and they get a Getting, ticket or they get yeah. shut down because they don't have a permit. We had that happen here in Keene. I mean, there was someone, a little girl that was going to sell limeade at the flea market. I mean, and they, they come in spouting off legal terms that the cops don't even know, but they don't care because there's no accountability for them, uh, you know, making mistakes and, and arresting people for the wrong reasons and yeah, so on. And most of these regulations protect uh, vested interests, very powerful, entrenched businesses and the established, the, yeah, yeah. the established ones at the expense of com- potential competitors, which doesn't work for the consumer because it keeps prices high. So does that give you an idea? It gives me a little bit more of an idea, yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, now you were uh, calling about something else. Did you want to go through yeah, that? Yeah, I was going to, I was, um, y'all were talking about how it was like um, maybe we're taking the wrong direction and the wrong tact and stuff regarding, uh, uh, quote, terrorism and stuff like that. Okay. But, um, but, but like 9-11 happened, you know, and that was like, unprecedented and it wasn't any specific country that we could go after really although we did go after specific country but um but so um i i i mean what if if i don't know the response i don't agree with george bush's response but i mean well, well, drastic think, things like that take drastic measures to some extent well sure sure but you know what what happened was already illegal you already had all these government agencies. You had the NSA, you had the CIA, you had the FBI, and, and a host of other agencies whose job it was to prevent that type of thing, and it happened anyway. So why didn't anybody get fired? Why didn't they close an agency down? No, they just created new agencies and, and, and harass American people at airports when that's not the problem. If you want to stop hijacking, you arm the pilots with, with bullets that can't penetrate a fuselage. Yeah, I End mean, the story. government that, came that, out. That can't happen again then, right? 
the the government came out and said, you know, our bureaucracy, we have too many uh, bureaucracies out here and they're not communicating with each other. So we're going to create we're going to solve this by creating more bureaucracy, mm-hmm. another overlapping layer. And, and apparently that's going to fix all the problems. And there was a policy during the Clinton administration to actually prevent some of these agencies from cooperating with each other and communicating. So the answer is to create more government agencies and, and a bigger mess. Of course, it made the unemployment rate look a little lower for a while because they were ha- hiring all these new people in these new agencies. But it doesn't make you any safer. Yeah, and David, I, I think one of the important things to realize is, or the, one of the important questions to ask is, what uh, what is it that the, the terrorists, the, the people who perpetrated 9-11, what were they unhappy about? I mean, have you looked exactly. into That's any of I that? Thought. Right. That's what I thought. The first thing that came to my mind, I wanted to go to the Central Square and who did it and why. It seemed like nobody was asking that. They were just all sticking these flags up. Which... So patriotism, <laughs> yeah, nationalism. So what, what do you Sorry. know or what do you believe was the cause of 9-11? Um, I'm, I, well, I'm... I'm guessing and I'm finding out it's just our, um, you know, maybe our, uh, our, our like, you know, we got our hands or fingers in all over the place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, people are uh, like, you know, I don't know. I'm just guessing like maybe it has to do with like colonialism type. Yeah. Of so a lot of the uh, hurting and harming people, you know. A lot of the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. The majority were. Uh, and Saddam Hussein, his, uh, he's part of that royal family that rules in Saudi Arabia. Now, it, this goes back to, to uh, sort of the oil embargo of the, what was it, the 70s, Wayne? You were around for that, weren't you? Yes, I was. <laughs> I was. But that, that was more political. And at the time, there was also money printing going on because Nixon had taken us off the uh, international gold standard in 71. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, prices started going nuts. No one ever really talked about that. They just said, oh, it's inflation. The, the evil Arabs raised prices on us and they embargoed us and all that. But really, it was more than that. Well, but I read the, this book uh, called The Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which is yes. very good. Yes. Uh, David, if that's one that you've never heard of or if you read books, I'd, I'd recommend that one to sort of get an understanding of just how the, the federal government goes and interferes in countries around mm-hmm. the world. And they have 700 military bases in over 130 countries. I mean, if, if, China, if Red China had a, a military base here and they were rolling tanks down the street of Keene, New Hampshire. We'd be mad. Probably. Yeah. So that's what's going on, and what happens is they, 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 the U.S. government will send in contractors from Halliburton and some of these other companies, and they will d- take on some kind of project. Like in the, in the book, the first example is the island of Java, where they were going to do electrification, bring electricity to the island. And they came in and they gave these wonderful figures of 17% year-over-year growth, which the guy who did the Boston uh, electrification project said, this is crazy. I mean, it was it was five or six percent in Boston, and this is a some remote island in the middle of nowhere. And so they, uh, but they because they had those projections, they then got all the bankers to come in and loan all kinds of money that they didn't need. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens when you give money to politicians? Do they honestly uh, spend it? And if oh well, we didn't need this extra uh, forty million dollars here, I'm just going to give that back. No, they they spend it on themselves. They they're corrupt. I mean, they're they're not held accountable, and so then when they can't pay it back because the economic uh, 
forecasts don't come true, they've got big problems and they're on the hook to the bankers. So, David, if you want to hang on, we'll uh, go into more detail on how this relates back to 9-11 and it all ties in. And uh, we'll be back. You can call in, share your thoughts at 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the show about your calls. We're launching into hour number three of the Sunday edition. Joining you tonight, it's Sam and Wayne. And if you like the show and you want to uh, check out some of the listeners, you can go to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's where the wonderful lady listeners of Free Talk Live can send in their photo. It's not a beauty contest. It's just to show the, uh, I guess, the radio side, uh, the radio uh, stations Mm -hmm. that Free Talk Live appeals to a wider demographic than the typical male listeners that you get on, uh, on Free Talk Live and Uh, Our lady listeners call in and they go to the front of the line so they get to skip past all those boys. Anyway, uh, shrine.freetalklive.com. You can check that out. It's quite a popular page on the website. So we have been uh, going through uh, a pretty stark warning from Ron Paul here, and we'll get back to that in a minute. We had uh, David call in, and I believe he's still on the line. David, are you there? Hey, David. Sure am. Okay, Hello. so we were talking to you, and uh, you had s- some questions about nine eleven, and you know this was obviously a pretty uh, devastating event, it caused severe uh-huh. loss of life, and and we asked the question, well, what were the causes of it? And so in the before the in the last hour there, we sort of went through an example of Java and how the the government went in there, or the sort of the military industrial complex went in there, created these these uh, just outrageous projections that would never come true then loaned uh, gave great huge loans uh, based on those projections and that way when the the corrupt government spent the money and couldn't pay any of it back they're on the hook to the u.s military industrial complex well the banks to the banks yeah and uh, then they can start controlling them and so that's similar to what happened in Saudi Arabia. In this book, he goes through and talks about how he was the one who went and met with the Saudi royal family and got them to break the oil embargo uh, in exchange for protection. So what happens or what's happened is the U.S. government is over there propping up the Saudi royal family and making sure that they stay in power by throwing the uh, U.S. military might behind them. And, you know, they're they're a really pretty tyrannical and oppressive regime. And also, you know, the Saudi government has been buying U.S. treasuries for a long time in large amounts, too, because they were making a lot of money in oil. So that was the other favor that, that they, they greased the, uh, the palm of, of the U.S., on the other hand, on the, on the other end of that, that whole um, transaction. There's, there's a lot of stuff like this going on all over the world. And again, we we're talking about the book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. What was the fellow's name who wrote John it? John something. Yeah, John I can... Perkins, I believe. It was. Wasn't it Perkins? I'm not sure. But yeah. But basically what happens, of course, is, is first they might go in and they might say, we want to lend you $40 million or whatever. And if that whole thing goes over, cool, you know, then they default and then the banks can go in and, and control them. But sometimes foreign leaders say, no, we don't want to do that. So the next step is um, they might try to have them assassinated or they might uh, rig an election. And then if there's elections in that country to get their guy in who will take the loans. Now, if that doesn't work, then, of course, there's the ultimate option, which is war. And that's what you're seeing probably with Iran. I would think that's probably going on because when the um, hostage crisis happened in 79 in Iran, 
the Shah was kicked out. The Shah was the puppet of, of the U.S. and Britain. And, and, and they, though, had, they had yeah. democracy, right? Yes. So they had a democratic society, a, pretty, a fairly free society that could advance forward and could uh, you know, move in the direction of more liberty. And what did they come in and replace that with? A dictatorship, a brutal dictatorship. Now, why would they want a dictatorship in? Well, so that uh, that they can be controlled and, and looted too, and you can control the oil, uh, natural resources in that country, which is big. Um, Brazil was forced a, a, a few years back to sign over part of the Amazon rainforest to uh, I believe I believe it was the IMF or one of the big international banking uh, mm-hmm. institutions. So this stuff goes on all the time, and but the ultimate um, form of of um, uh, of this, if nothing else works, is war. Yeah, and so if you look at the the so-called evil people that the the U.S. Uh, federal government is so against, uh, it would be people like uh, Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. It would be Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, Ahmadinejad in uh, Iran. These are also the same countries that have gone out and tried to make oil deals without first buying the U.S. dollar without using right. the U.S. dollar as the underlying backing. And before that, it was Saddam Hussein. Yeah, Saddam Hussein dared to start asking for currency other than dollars for oil months before uh, the U.S. invaded Iraq. So some people think that might be would have been a final motivation for the U.S. to go in and, and uh, take him down. Now, I'll tell you an interesting story. I don't think I've ever told you this before, Sam, because I went, when I went to college, uh, we had a lot of Iranian exchange students, a lot of Persian exchange students, Iranians, Persians, uh, at my university. And the Shah was paying for them to go there. And I remember I'm a freshman in college, you know, new to the university experience, fresh out of high school. And I see these Iranians protesting. They're walking down the main drag. They're, they've got masks on. And they're saying, the Shah is a murder. Don with the Shah. The Shah is a torture. Don with the Shah. And then they had the Iranians on the side of the road with cameras filming them. And I'm thinking, these people are nuts. Because I really didn't understand the history of Iran and what had gone on. Mm-hmm. And... And, you know, I noticed that a lot of the Iranian students, a lot of them would look at you as an American, like you're scum or something. Yeah. They really didn't like it. I think, why, why are they even here? And the Shah were sent, well, was sending Well, it's because him. people are so ignorant. I mm-hmm. mean, David, did you have any idea that this was, the, this was going on sort of behind the scenes? Not really, no. Yeah. And the secret know. police of Iran, they, they, a couple of them who were friendly told me the secret police of Iran who were taking people in the night and, and torturing them Torture, and kidnapping yeah. them were trained by the U.S., and and then later on in life, when I started to understand the history of Iran, how the U.S. helped to overthrow the democratically elected leader of Iran in 1953, it all started to come together to me. Now, in 79, we might not agree with, with a, a theocracy that they've had in Iran for some time, but they did take their country back. You know, the, at least they are... It's a, a step better than what they had. It's a step better than what they had. It's not perfect, and you might not agree with it personally, but it's better than being under the thumb of, of, a, of a, you know... A colonial power and it's a direct result of the u.s intervention over there if they hadn't have thrown out the the guy in the first place so you know this is what happens and and osama bin laden's the, the same story it's the u.s government in there interfering in the daily lives of of other countries of other people uh you know forcing their will forcing their drug war forcing all of their policies all of their embargoes all of you know, it, it's all about control, and, and the United States is a huge empire. And this is something that the American people, most, the average American is completely oblivious to. They're in denial about it. They're in denial. They have no idea what's going on. If you tell them about it, they most of them won't even believe it. 
But this is why that, uh, you know, other countries, Muslims and people around the world are so unhappy, not not because America's free or because we have Coca-Cola or Pepsi or anything like that, but because we're interfering in their daily lives. And that's what led to 9-11. Yeah, I was going to um, I knew we had we had um, bases in like countries all are like still in Korea and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Well, it's not I wouldn't over. use the term we. I mean, that's another mm-hmm. thing that the government does right, to I sort know. of collectivize and make you feel like you know, you're a part of this. I I play no part in it. It's the well, federal Sam, you, government. Then you hate America. <laughs> I, I yeah, I don't want anything to do with America. I'd like it to just leave me alone and leave me free to live my life. But, well, and that's the dis- important distinction is that uh there's the American <laughs> people and then there's the state. Yeah. And so you have to separate those two because the state has well, been doing some bad things around the world for many decades. Well, the other the other countries probably wouldn't see any distinction. They'd see us as Americans, and and they'd see us. You know, they wouldn't make any. Well, to some extent, but then you know they also know that the uh, like the Iranian student students. They know that these are sort of like the going back to a matrix analogy. These are the people who are in the matrix and they're not woken up to the reality of the situation, to the reality of the horrors uh, created by the United States government. And so until they can be woken up and be made aware of what's going on, they're they're just uh, sort of part of the, the big machine that, that oppresses people. But there are more and more courageous people now who are awakening other people. Right. And, and when that happens, when that reaches a critical mass, it will stop. And, and that's why Sam and I and, and all the rest of us at Free Talk Live and, and many other uh, Internet shows are, are, are risking our lives in some, in some cases to bring out this information to the public and, and, and spread the truth. And th- this is what's happening. This is what the Internet has really allowed uh, to sort of come about is the freedom of information, allowing people to get on and, and create an audience without having to spend tens of thousands of dollars and get their message out, share the truth. And, David, I thank you for the call. And uh, we'll come back, finish up Ron Paul's uh, message here to, uh, to America, and you can call in and bring up anything, 603-435-1105. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show. You can call in and join us on the air at 603-435-1105. Bring up anything that's on your mind and get it out to the masses. Uh, Joining you tonight, it's Sam and Wayne. And if you do some shopping for computer stuff, you can go check out newegg.freetalklive.com. The uh, small portion of the proceeds go to the CD Evolution Fund, which is the Civil Disobedience Evolution Fund. I'm one of the board members. It's a great organization that helps uh, the activists, the brave activists who are up there, you know, putting their, uh, their freedom on the line in order to raise awareness and get people up here to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. Uh, where we are doing something and and getting involved and finding ways to sort of uh, spread this, this these ideas and this uh, sort of message to people so that we can sort of stop this uh, tragedy that's that's occurring here that Ron Paul is uh, detailing for us. And we really are trying to warn people about this because uh, otherwise a lot of people are going to be blindsided. And, and I fear for the elderly people who really don't aren't on the cutting edge of information who have their savings in dollars right now. 
that's probably one of the biggest uh, concerns. And, you know, Ron, we, we've, uh, if going back earlier in the show, Ron Paul was talking about the currency collapse and the dollar losing value and, and prices going through the roof. Well, what happens to the people who are dependent on the government, dependent on the criminal gang to, uh, you know, Social Security is, a, is all a lot of people have, and that's what they buy groceries with. That's how they're paying rent. What happens when the grocery bill is now $1,200 or, or, you know, something like that? Right, and they can't p- pay their oil bill to heat their house in the winter because that goes too high. Oil will go through the roof when this happens, by the way. So they're going to have to move in with uh, with other people, which means, you know, the housing market's going to slump even further. It just, it, it really spells disaster here. And uh, it, there are things that you can do to sort of prepare for this, to be ready for it. And it's sad because I've read I read a story about um, money being pulled out of the financial markets out of 401ks and things like that. It was one hundred and forty six billion or you know some very large number setting records for money just leaving the stock markets. But where are they putting that, Wayne? The answer was in bank accounts. And what's coming? What happens in Argentina and Mexico and all these other countries as their currency collapses? Grocery store is empty. The electricity goes out in some cases. It, it's not pretty. And devaluation. A lot of them, they'll close the banks. They declare some kind of a, an emergency. And this is what uh, Gerald Salente and some of the other financial analysts are expecting the United States to do, is use some kind of crisis or some kind of a emergency situation to close the banks, roll out a new currency where, oh, these are the new shiny dollars and these are so much better that you ju- you only need to get one of these for every three of the old dollars. Those mm-hmm. things are just not really worth anything anymore. And overnight, people lose 60% of the value of, of their money. Historically, devaluation is definitely uh, an option and, and the most likely option that this our government right now would use to try to get out of their debt bubble problem. Right. Okay, so let's get back to uh, Ron Paul here and see what he's got to say. The only way that we we can prevent blood from running in the streets is to offer a better idea of the proper role of government in a society that desires first and foremost liberty. And that is impossible without a firm commitment by our thought leaders to the ideas of freedom, the source of all creative energy and prosperity. An all-powerful state is the threat to that ideal. The prevailing attitude of the people, as it once was in early America, must be that of liberty and self-reliance, rather than the nanny state and dependency. Rely on, on the government force to mold all private choices. If this is understood, a smooth, although not painless, transition to a free society is achievable. Ignoring this option will be very destructive to everything that is dear to the hearts of most Americans. What is it that we must do? We must immediately embark on... Balance the budget by reducing spending. Oh, I don't know if that one's going to ever happen. I, You know, this is where I may part ways with uh, what Ron Paul's saying here. I haven't listened to all of this yet. I'm hearing this for the first time. I don't know if you've watched it, Wayne. I haven't yet, no. Well, okay. balancing the budget's great in, pra- in theory. The problem is everything is so out of whack. Even if you balance the budget this year, the debt... Uh, uh, that this government is in is still spiraling out of control. Yeah, and I don't think that there's any turning around the federal government. That is completely a lost cause. There is no saving them. It's it's going it's a it's a sinking ship. You can yeah. rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic if you want. I think the answer is really a, is is a local one. It involves, mm-hmm. you know, community. 
and grow, you know, doing things like knowing how to grow your own food or getting involved in a co-op. It means starting things like flea markets, which the police are out here uh, cracking down on and preventing people from engaging in commerce without all of these government regulations, which are what created the problem in the first place. And I don't think for a second that the people who are in power, the the ones gain, the ones voting, which are the primarily the people who are gaining benefit from the system, the bureaucrats themselves, are going to allow anyone to come in and start just slashing and burning and doing away with the the bureaucracy. It's very, it's very painful change that would have to happen, and so the only real way that it will reform is it has to collapse at this point. Yeah, but the danger is what he talked about uh, you know, in the beginning is that the people will call for the government to come be their savior because they've just been so dumbed down that they don't think that, well, we can't protect ourselves. We need the government to do that for us. And so. they can't possibly protect everybody. Uh, absolutely not. And they have no liability or obligation to protect people either. That's just all for show. I mean, the, the the government is there to the government police, the FBI, all of them. They're there to protect themselves, number one, because they want their system that gives them a paycheck to continue and make sure that, you know, they can they can get their pension, which has probably been looted mm-hmm. already. And they don't know it yet. And they don't even know it. Yeah. And that's it's so sad to see what people will do. They, they've just been suckered by this by this criminal gang change our foreign policy so to that of non-intervention a full audit and more supervision of the federal reserve leading to abolishing the federal reserve legalized competition to the federal reserve with competing currencies regain respect for civil liberties and privacy while reigning in the cia okay so i want to touch on the federal reserve there i mean these are solutions that we have going on right here in new hampshire today we talked about shire silver earlier i think this is before you got here Mm -hmm. uh we talked about a couple of currencies that have shown up the taz cash which has uh, distributed your gold somewhere out there in undisclosed locations and we talked about the shire silver where the little strips are inside uh plastic cards and they're coming up with ways that you can uh, do conductivity tests on those to make sure it is silver and, uh, you know, it's it's about creating competing currencies, whereas unfortunately today, if the, the, the most successful one, the, the Liberty dollar, was raided by the feds. They came in and took, stole the millions of dollars in gold that, and silver that people had purchased and left them high and dry, pretty much. So the, the biggest obstacle to doing all of these things is the state itself because they want to continue their power trip. I don't think there's any uh, there's any stopping them. It's just like you say, it's going to let them collapse. But that's why it's so important to get the word out, to educate people about these ideas, to spread this message, so that when it does come, people are immune to the propaganda. The truth is the cure to the government propaganda. We'll finish this up when we come back and uh, take your calls at six zero three four three five eleven zero five. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the Sunday edition of the show where the co-hosts take over and give Wayne, or not Wayne, but Ian and Mark, the night off. (laughs) We have taken over (laughs) the airwaves, and here we go. Uh, Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And we've been uh, sort of going back and forth through this Ron Paul uh, video that he's put out earlier today. It's uh, 
given some great examples. He's sort of getting into solutions, and you know, we've stopped down because I agree with some of his solutions, but I, I wish I had his optimism. He seems to think that maybe there's some manner by which the federal government can be turned around and this train wreck that's heading at full speed can all of a sudden, you know, be stopped on a dime. And, uh, you know, after this, we'll get into some of the more, I think, economic news. And things are really starting to accelerate. And it's looking worse and worse. And the 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 federal bankers that he's talking about, the Federal Reserve System, is really has lost control. I mean, they used to they used to sort of control the markets and restrict and expand the money supply in order to stimulate economic activity. But now we're seeing cases where, you know, they're, they're putting in trillions of dollars in these bailouts and getting almost nominal results. They're talking about doing it again, but the law of diminishing returns is going to say it's not going to be as even anywhere near as effective. Well, it's just like if you if you put the um, the shock paddles on a corpse, what happens? Yeah, <laughs> you know? not much. It doesn't change the the fundamentals, which are severely uh, broken at this point. So, all right, let's see what else uh, Dr. Paul has to say here. Wean ourselves off the dependence of wealth transfers by government. Abolish crony capitalism. No subsidies. No bailouts. No regulatory or tax privileges to protect the powerful elite especially the military-industrial complex. Eliminate the income tax, the inheritance tax, and taxes on savings and dividends. None of this can happen without the restoration of Congress to its dominant position of the three branches of government, as was originally intended by the Constitution. I'm pausing there because I just uh, this is a great place to point out Lysander Spooner's quote. The Constitution is either the document that has authorized all of this or failed to prevent it. So, you know, I don't think the answer is to go back to this flawed system, to this flawed idea that says, uh, you know, that we should have this one monopoly group uh, that that should be entrusted with the power of of the ring, you know, Mm -hmm. Frodo's ring. And don't throw it in the fire. Let's let's keep it and you can use it responsibly. And I think history shows over and over again that it can't be used responsibly. Well, one one institution, namely the federal government, really, can they be trusted to regulate themselves? I don't think so. No. And should they have the mon- a monopoly on the interpretation of the Constitution? Because that's what's happened. They, they have a monopoly on the interpretation of it, and there's too many vested interests in there and, and, and um, cozy relationships where it, it doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, we talked about that. People say, oh, this is a nation of laws, and you know, this is about the Constitution, and we're a nation of laws, which Mark brought up the point that you know, it's the Supreme Court that interprets the Constitution. So, no, this is a nation of opinions about laws. Right. And they're not your opinions. It doesn't matter if you read it and think it says one thing. It's it's what the, the government's own lawyers in black dresses decide it means. And that's yeah. that's what it's, it's this whole system is based on. And who do they and who do they interpret it for? To the benefit of the state every time. Yeah, and, and and the assumption that there's there's a a balance of power that there's competition among the branches of government is nonsense. They're all in bed together, and then they all work with each other. And you know, you, we hear about the uh, the states. We're going to stand up to this federal government, and we're gonna we're gonna show them we're in charge here. And and we'll uh, well, we can't stop the the medical marijuana raids, even though the state law says it's legal. And we we might uh, want to secede if they keep doing it. But all we're gonna do is write stuff that says we could. And then uh, you know, some of them are going going about uh, creating the handguns that are if they're manufactured inside the state, sold to people in the state, and they don't leave the state, then 
They're that, not regulated. Yeah, that's that's a form of of nullification, and nullification is really what got Real ID um, defeated in a sense. Do you be- think, or do you think it was just I? So I was. This was when I was first coming up for one of the uh, Porcupine Fests, and we actually heard John Lynch speak, and somebody asked him the question about Real ID. And he gave this slimy political answer that said it wasn't funded. And and somebody tried to ask if it was funded, would you still oppose it? And he would not close the door on that. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think that, you know, these politicians, they serve themselves. They're they're looking out for themselves, not the people. Sure. But I mean, there have been other states who who were opposed to it also, a lot of governors. But you're right. Some of them was just about the money. But the point is, is that uh, if there is any even small chance of, of something helping, Nullification could help because it's just a form of of, of state civil disobedience. It's, yeah, it's a step in the right direction. It's a, it's a step just, in the right direction. I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't hold that up as my like my hope for this is you know mm-hmm. this is our savior right here. I just I don't. No, see it. I don't think anything can be your savior. I think you have to you have to basically go at it at many fronts, and that that's one of them. That if if the politicos want to do that, then great, let them do it. Okay. The executive and the judicial must be reined in, and Congress must assert its prerogatives over all legislation curtailing all unconstitutional agenda through budgetary controls. What percentage do you think that would be unconstitutional laws? Oh, it's, it's mind-boggling. 80, 95%? <laughs> Go back 100 Signs years. Signs abound that angry Americans are now more ready than ever before for a change in direction that is indeed real. If this program were improvised, even suddenly and dramatically, the adjustment, though significant and to a degree somewhat painful, would be much shorter and of minor consequence compared to the chaos and poverty that will result if we refuse to change our gluttonous appetite for a free lunch. He's right about that. He's absolutely right. And, you know, the Great Depression, if you look back at history, at the, I think there was a university that studied it, showed that the New Deal did made it worse. It extended the Great Depression. Otherwise, it would have been just maybe a year or six months, a year or two. Uh, but it extended it over eight years or something. Well, th- this recession or whatever you want to call it that we're in, you know, has, has been building for many decades. But it would, have, it would have been far better if they had, in 2000, 2001, if they actually let uh, us have a recession then rather than pumping up the housing market to try to hide it and, and let, uh, prices adjust, let bad debt uh, get liquidated, then you'd have a, a real recovery. But we never had that. And so they, they pump up this new bubble, which creates further malinvestment and more and more debt. And, and the housing, there's a lot more debt involved with housing than there was in the stock market in, in the 90s. So now you have a situation where this they're not letting the debt bad debt liquidate in an orderly, quick fashion. And so let's say you're a business and maybe two years ago, you know, the economy started getting really bad. Well, if, if they just let everything crash, so to speak, they let the bad debt liquidate, they let the prices adjust, and it happens quickly, then some of these businesses can hold on. But when you extend this, this thing over a period of time, say three, five years, a lot of businesses that are on the edge cannot hold on that long, and, they, and, they, and they, the people they employ are unemployed now. So the best thing to do is, just like if you have a Band-Aid on your arm, the best way to take it off is just to pull it off fast. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're pulling the Band-Aid off slow, and you can feel every hair get pulled out. Yeah, and to a greater extent, I think by pumping this money in, they're they're just sort of further inflating the bubble. They're 
they're just accentuating the malinvestment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and these people are addicted. They're junkies. They're this is going back to Gerald Salenti's technology. Money junkies. They're money junkies. They are addicted to money, and they don't care if they have to rip off their money, uh, their mother, <laughs> to get to get money. I mean, they, they they're they're insane when it comes to this. And so they they've run the uh, the course on the housing thing. There's pretty much uh, nothing left to do except for the banks to consolidate all of those houses and and that they've essentially stolen from people because when you go in to uh get the the sign the mortgage on your home loan they're not they don't have that money they're not creating that they don't it's not in their bank they're using your good credit your all that background stuff that you had to do in the meantime to create it through a promissory note when you're signing away all those papers you're creating the wealth that they're using to buy that house in the first place. So they're not out anything. And then all of a sudden they get this windfall of all these houses that they're going to sell for, for pennies on the dollar. But, hey, it didn't cost them anything in the to begin with. So it's uh, some grim news. But maybe, I don't know, we can maybe talk some more solutions and get into a little more economic news and talk about what people can do to prepare when we come back, uh, 603-435-1105 to share your thoughts and maybe some of your solutions. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, the live Sunday edition of the show where the co-hosts take over the airwaves. Joining you tonight, it's Sam. And Wayne. And... If you like the show and you want to uh, help us out, you can uh, go to learn or you can check out the AMP program, the Advertise, Market, and Promote. It's the marketing budget for Free Talk Live. It's uh, what they use to uh, go to different radio conventions, to uh, run an ad in Talkers Magazine. Uh, they use it for uh, Google AdWords. It's all designed to get these ideas into the ears of more people before this inevitable crash that, that we seem to be uh, advancing towards happens so that people can be more prepared and understand what's happening and not end up turning to the government begging for the uh, police state that and the, the resulting tyranny that's going to come from that. All they ask for is 3 bucks a month, and again, that'll go to Advertise Market and promote the show, and you can find out more about that at amp.freetalklive.com. Okay, so Wayne, uh, you've got some financial data here that you want to share that sort of helps uh, or maybe expands on some of the things that probably Ron Paul is seeing as well to uh, sort of make some of these dire predictions and so forth. Well, one thing is the housing market because they're always trying to prop up housing. You hear them in the news always talking about mortgages and housing and new housing starts and all this baloney, which has nothing to do with the economy, really. And and so you know I hear people say, well, the econ- the housing market is going to re- is going to um, recover in a year or two years. I don't believe it because if you look at the unemployment figures, the trends in unemployment are, are actually going in the opposite direction. And unemployment is what basically determines how many foreclosed houses are going to be on the market and, and what the supply and inventory of houses is going to be. And there's a study recently that just found. Uh, let's see, it's the Center for Housing Policy, the local initiative support corporation. And the Urban Institute have compiled and released the first data on seriously delinquent mortgages for all 366 U.S. metro areas. Seriously delinquent mortgages are those that are delinquent 90 days or more or, in the for, or are in the foreclosure process. And this number year over year increased by 32% over last year. 
Wow. So don't tell me the real estate market is recovering anytime soon. Of course, also they built too many houses because, of course, with really low interest rates, they sent false signals to the marketplace. That's what Builder, all, yeah. Builders thought that there was more demand than there was. People who owned five houses, only lived in one. And now you've you've got more houses than you need out there. Well, and there's places like Phoenix where 60% of the houses that are on the market are sitting vacant. Mm-hmm. And that tells you that's a huge, huge sign of malinvestment. Because what that means is it's not families and so forth that were living in those houses. These were people that were investors that, that bought hook, line, and sinker. The idea that, oh, don't worry if if the mortgage costs you twelve hundred dollars a month and you can only rent it for nine hundred a month, it's a it's a good investment, Wayne. It's, it's going to go. It's going to appreciate fifteen percent a year. So you sell it in five years and you make all this money. And, and some people did if they got it in and out at the right time. It's true they did. And then you you heard all these people talking about housing as an investment. What? You yeah, know, it, it's, it's a place to live. And now, you know, there's a there's a chart that I saw a while ago that showed the uh, housing crash of 2008 and sort of the bell curve that, that came about from that. And then it showed the ARM resets where people get these certain loans that are at a certain low monthly payment for the first, uh, I don't know, five years or whatever of the loan. And then eventually they reset to a much higher rate. And this showed the a, payment goes up by a thousand dollars a month on average and this showed a wave of those arm resets that was just as big as the the bubble mm-hmm. as the crash of of 08 was that the one for 2010 uh it started yeah it started uh in 2010 and sort of we're sort of still climbing up on the peak right now and it'll it'll happen it'll sort of uh work itself out over the next i think it was 12 months or so but by that time, there'll be a lot of houses in the market and a lot more unemployed, uh, unemployed people, too. And then all of these things end up acting as a multiplier. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think this is what people understand. We're also, because of all the bailouts and the, the inflation and the money uh, that's going to start flooding back into the U.S., prices are going to start going through the roof. Mm-hmm. And people are unemployed. They're not out there finding jobs because the job numbers are not improving because, as we talked about, all of the... Uh, all of the manufacturing and so forth, the, the production, the thing that actually creates value has been moved outside the country to China, to India, to all these different places. And, uh, you know, the, the U.S., the America is facing serious, serious problems. And we, it's going to be time to go back to the basics. I mean, people are, are, are not going to be able to afford these houses. They're going to be living uh, more people in, in these McMansions that are in these towns. The the suburbs are going to collapse because the, the commercial real estate market is uh, is collapsing. I mean, here in Keene, I've seen quite a few areas sort of the, there's a main street that's really pretty and everybody wants to be there because that's where all the foot traffic is and all the cars and so forth. And those are all full. I mean, it looks great when you go down there. There's new new businesses opening up as soon as one closes. But when you go a few streets out, that's where there's a lot more uh, for lease signs coming up, for sale signs up at some of these businesses and so forth. Because the successful ones that are left, they'll move into Main Street where it's, you know, still they're, they're uh, able to get that prime location. And it's sort of emptying out from the outside. And so as this continues, like you said, employment's not going to improve. So people are still going to be looking for uh, for work and, and not going to be able to buy a house or afford monthly payments or anything like that. And, 
you know, there's, there's the answer doesn't, I think, lie in the, the system of, oh, you know, go get a job and, and work hard and you'll be all right. I think people have to learn to become self-reliant. People... Yeah. You know, there, there was a really interesting book that came out recently called The Collapse of Complex Societies by Joseph Tainter, PhD, I believe. Mm-hmm. And in it, he talks about how societies like ours and throughout history have gotten too complex. They've gotten too onerous with regulations, taxation, where then they collapse yep. and then they simplify again. And simplification is the collapse. And and then you can get back to rebuilding when you go back to a, more of a cash-based society, more of a decentralized society. That's when you can start to re, uh, rebuild wealth again and, and get back on your feet. Things have gotten so top-heavy and so complex now that it can't keep going on. It's just completely collapsed. It's, we don't, a lot of people don't know it yet, but it has. It's bankrupt. It's, it's insolvent. The mm-hmm. big banks are insolvent. They're just pretending now. They're extending and pretending. So we're going to see this, and we have to be prepared for this, and we have to make sure our loved ones know that you know you can't just assume everything is going to be the way it was the last 30 years because we're in for big changes. We're in for a bumpy road ahead, and it'll be okay when we get through it, but you have to get ready for the bumpy road. Yeah, and so what are some of the methods of doing that? I mean, we talk about gold and silver. The main thing is this this fiat money, the, the dollar, uh, is is not going to hold its value. So there's a number of things you can do. What I've done is invested in myself. I've bought uh, camera equipment and things that I can use in, as tools for production mm-hmm. to, to make barter. videos, to, yeah. to barter with people. I've uh, done some uh, food-related stuff. Uh, I've found ways to uh, take that value that I've built up over the years in Federal Reserve notes and convert it into something else that might hang on. That's true. And for those who don't have a lot of money, because a lot of people don't have a lot of money right now, if you have a little bit of money, you, you probably want to invest in things that you know you'll need a year, you know, maybe six months, a year from now, that'll be a lot more expensive. So it's good to pick up a few extra things in the supermarket. When you go to Walmart and get that big thing of toilet paper, maybe you want to buy two or three of them and have it around. Because if the supermarkets do empty like they have in other countries when they collapsed, then you want to have extra supplies in the toilet house. So you're, not would fi- be nice. so you're not fighting with your neighbors in the grocery store for that last package of toilet paper, you know, um, things, th- things you can barter, even if you don't smoke cigarettes. Well, if, if, a, if there's a carton of cigarettes there, you might think about buying them because it's better than, 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 uh, than monopoly money. And things like liquor that store well and yeah. not gonna, and not non-perishable goods. I have uh, friends in uh, Texas and Arkansas and so forth that I've grown up with, and I've talked to them about these ideas. And, you know, a few years ago, I was telling them about gold and silver and what's coming. And they're like, oh, Sam, there you go again. You know, you're crazy and da-da-da-da-da. Well, now they're listening, I, mm-hmm. I can tell you. And one of the things I tell them to do is to make sure that you've got food. And all you have to do is go to the grocery store and, and throw a few extra canned goods into uh, your basket Put those under the bed somewhere. Put them in the basement if you have basements. They don't down in the south. Um, and that's what they've been doing. And and one friend of mine, Brian, he's uh, he buys a whole bunch of stuff. He saves it for the year or so. And uh, the, the expiration dates, those are really freshness dates. If, if a canned good goes bad, it'll expand out and sort of right. pop to look like it's about to explode or something because the bacteria will start growing in there. And that's how you know that something's wrong and you shouldn't eat that. But they're they're good for most most cases ten years. Uh, but what he's doing is just uh, collecting canned goods at the grocery store. He's storing them somewhere, and then when they after a year or so, he takes them into uh, one of the local shelters or something, gives them away, and replenishes his stock. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of things you can do. Um, 
I don't know, Gerald Salenti is probably a good one to check out. Do you have any other recommendations? Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> off the top and, of my head. Yeah, we're out of time, though. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Give you, uh, I hope we gave you guys something to think about. And uh, be prepared for the worst. Expect the best. Yep. This is Free Talk Live. 